Okay. We can cut this I'm like part looking out. at my shirt. It has an octopus on it. And I'm remembering that I ate calamari yesterday and feeling kind of guilty. Um, <laughs> you hate to see that. <laughs> I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your hostess with the most, as you could call me Rocky. And today I am being joined by Clarissa. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am good. I'm I'm out here. It's Sunday. I'm in Michigan, and uh, we're we're having a good time. My grandmother turned eighty today. Oh, lovely! Yeah. So, shout out to Nan. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Yeah, I just went to a movie with my grandmother, who's like, I guess ninety something. Oh, <laughs> we, wow. we, we, uh, Got me beat. Yeah. Maybe late 80s. I don't I don't honestly remember. I remember her 80th birthday. It was in my lifetime, but uh, I was probably like 10 or 11. Then I don't know. It, but but we went to a movie and uh, it was uh, it was like a secret cinema thing where they didn't know what they're going to show. And they showed uh, Victor Victoria, which I had not seen, but it's a very fun movie. I haven't seen it. I am kind of like, there you go. OK, so here's I, I have a confession. I am really bad with movies and like mm. there are some that I'm like I love and I will just watch those over and over again but like to get me to branch out and to watch like a new movie it's I'm bad about it I'm trying to be better but I'm bad sure, sure yeah. definitely I uh you know if, if you need any recommendations I've I've always got them but uh <laughs> but uh, speaking of movies uh this uh this week we are talking about a movie and yeah. uh, it's it's uh, one of only three movies in history to sweep the top five at the, the the big five at the Oscars: the best actor, best actress, best picture, best director, best screenplay. So uh, we're talking about the Silence of the Lambs. Woo! <laughs> Yay! This is <laughs> the one of those movies. Cheering. This is one I'll watch over and over again. I love that movie. Excellent, amazing. Tell us tell, tell us a little more about about you and Silence of the Lambs. So okay, my name is Clarissa. But when I was little, my mom called me Clarice sometimes. Like that's been a nickname that's been used for me. So like whenever Hannibal Lecter says Clarice, like it really just like hits me very close to uh, home. But sure. I am very, in- I'm one of those like true crime people. Um, I try to be like good about it. Like I understand, like I know the bad stuff, but like I am very interested in like serial killers and like that. So I'm, I like the movie for that reason. And like when I first watched the movie years ago, I was like, oh, serial killer, cool. But recently when I've revisited it, I've been like, oh, what are the implications of this film? Mm -hmm. Particularly Buffalo Bill as a character. And I just think that there's a lot to unpack and a lot to discuss. Absolutely, absolutely. I, um... What was I going to say, first of all? First of all, I was going to say that, um, shit, I, I, I lost something. But the thing that I remember is that uh, my first exposure to, I remember what I was going to say, but my first exposure to Science of the Land was actually at that same secret cinema event, same theater, a couple of years ago. It was uh, just, you know, one of the movies they showed. And um, I loved it on the first watch. I was like, this is a, this is like, it's crazy how good this is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a movie that like everyone knows about. And it's, you know, always talked about. There are all these cultural references that everyone always gets. But like, it's like as a film, no one's ever talking about like the structure or the, the cinematography or any of the things that really make it so great. It's like you only know about Hannibal and kind of about Buffalo Bill and kind of about Clarice and then you know the the way that it comes together as a as, it's like a we'll talk about this but it's like a procedural crime drama and like a gothic horror movie rolled into one which is uh very cool yeah <laughs> but what I was gonna what I was gonna say is that I think it's an interesting uh choice for this show in that it's uh it's a it's definitely a controversial film and yet it's one that is also pretty universally liked and so i think uh, it it'll be interesting to go into to go into the controversy and to talk about that um 
relative to, you know, just, just, just the, the things that everyone loves about it. Yeah. yeah. I rewatched it the other night in preparation mm. and mm. it was me and my roommate and we'd both seen it before. It'd been a while for her, but I, um, and then my friend Catherine and she had never seen it before. So it was very interesting to kind of like see her perspective because like, I imagine watching silence of the lambs for the first time in 2021 you know mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> right yeah uh, <laughs> it's uh you, you know we can get into it i yeah, i also i also obviously watched it the other day um in preparation i had intended to take notes and for the most part i didn't i just watched so it good. but you can't stop yeah i mean <laughs> right but uh we'll we'll hopefully be able to talk about a lot of things i have prepared some notes on the history of please the film so uh it begins with uh thomas harris the author who uh created the character of hannibal lecter and the series of books that he appears in uh in the 1960s he was working as a journalist for the pulp magazine argosy and he interviewed uh, a death row inmate who was uh, convicted for murder and that that inmate uh dykes askew simmons Simmons was talking about uh this doctor dr salazar as as the the pseudonym that that he used for him was uh someone who he had been shot by a prison guard and this doctor had you know healed him and so he talked to this doctor and and he believed that doctor to be like working in the prison but described him as like a you know quote a small live man with dark red hair he stood very still and there was a certain elegance about him and so this dr salazar began to ask questions about simmons disfigured appearance and the nature of his crimes and it was only afterwards that thomas harris learned that that dr salazar was a murderer as well and he was you know serving a, a a life sentence and uh so so that dr salazar was the inspiration the direct inspiration for him to start writing this character that would become hannibal uh he is believed to have been uh alfredo Bayi trevino a doctor who was arrested for murder and suspected of killing several others uh some of his details were kind of incorporated into the buffalo bill character as well um his sentence was commuted uh, Trevino. He was released in 1981 and he uh, continued to work in medicine until his death in 2009. They didn't take his so- license away? <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> like, okay, he got out. That's bad. But like, they let him keep... Okay, okay. Uh, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, <laughs> nothing you can do about it now. Um so yeah, Trevino was likely the influence for uh, the the Hannibal Lecter character that first appeared in Thomas Harris's 1981 book, Red Dragon, uh, as a killer whom FBI detective Will Graham must work with to catch another killer. That's sort of a, a recurring theme in those books. Will Graham isn't in all of them. Obviously, Clarice is in one of them, but uh, it's a detective working with Hannibal to catch someone else. That's that's the formula there. And so Red, Red Dragon was released in 81. It was... Uh, pretty acclaimed it was not like a like a massive commercial success but like great rave reviews Stephen King described it as the best popular novel to be published in America since The Godfather um and it was almost immediately picked up by the producer Dino De Laurentiis to be adapted into a film and so the Red Dragon movie was 1980 the first Red Dragon movie there was later a Red Dragon movie but this one was 1986's Manhunter uh which was directed by Michael Mann starred Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter and uh, that film was not very well received. It, uh, you know, it had mixed receptions from critics. Every Michael Mann movie is like a cult classic now, but like at the time it, uh, it didn't do great at the box office and, you know, it did like, it, it kind of flopped. Mm-hmm. But uh, around that same time, uh, Thomas Harris started working on a sequel to the book. And that sequel was Silence of the Lambs released two years later. So it's the sequel. Mm, that's interesting. It's the second book, yeah. And obviously, um, Will Graham is not in uh, Silence, and and Clarice is not in Red Dragon. So it's it's, it's you know, but it takes place afterwards. Um, and so talks were already underway about adapting Silence of the Lambs before the novel was even released, and uh, 
we we had the same thing happen. We were talking about Fight Club uh, two weeks ago, and it was the same situation where basically in the 90s, movie studios, and this is still a thing today where movie studios will get like proofs of books that are just like, that, that are either like, manuscript versions of them or you know kind of the kind of like dialogue like like scripts of them and they will be scouting books to be adapted into movies before they come out and so silence was a case of that and uh orion pictures and gene hackman had made a deal to adapt it uh with gene hackman set to direct and also potentially star uh, he he was kind of on the fence about whether he wanted to play Hannibal or Jack Crawford, the uh, the the FBI director. The BAU director. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You got me. <laughs> you got me there. But uh, they, you know, split the cost of buying the rights to the novel, Gene Hackman and Orion, and they had to acquire the rights to the Hannibal character because Dino De Laurentiis still had them for uh, for Manhunter. But because Manhunter was a flop, this is actually a really interesting thing with the rights that I might go off on for a second. So Dino De Laurentiis had the movie rights to the Hannibal Lecter character. And because Manhunter was a flop, he didn't really want them anymore. So he could have been, he was in a position to sell them to Orion or to Gene Hackman in, in this moment and just give them away. But instead, he loaned the rights to Orion for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so... Well, that's like the reverse of George Lucas getting all of the like merchandising rights to Star Wars. Right. Right. Yeah. He like, that's like the complete opposite, like the worst move he could have made. Yeah. And, but, but here's the thing is that there's, you know, there's all this crazy stuff with the rights to these characters in these films uh, that, that's been going on ever since because uh, in 1997, MGM acquired uh, Orion and they worked with. Dino De Laurentiis and his company to make sequels to Silence of the Lambs. And they made, you know, Hannibal and Red Dragon, which uh, were, you know, both starred Anthony Hopkins reprising the role. Um, and so those were collaborations between MGM and Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, but the recent adaptations of the character, first of all, the Hannibal series was uh, a Dino De Laurentiis production. And uh, Brian Fuller had written it in a way where if he could get the rights to Silence of the Lambs, he would put Clarice or, and Buffalo Bill, like, like, like he would sort of draw them in there at some point, but he could not get the rights from MGM for that. And then there was also the Clarice series that uh, aired on CBS earlier this year where, yeah. where they couldn't mention Hannibal Lecter. And yeah, the reason for that is that it's a, it's an MGM, you know, production and it's, it's not, you know, Dino De Laurentiis isn't involved. And uh, Alice Kurtzman talks about how they, they kind of tried to get Hannibal in there, but because the Hannibal series and to a lesser extent, the silent sequels were successful, Dino De Laurentiis isn't giving those rights away for free anymore. <laughs> yeah, they should do a crossover episode. That would be great. It, it it's just like it, but that's probably just how it's going to be for a while is like they will they right, will, they will yeah. continue making things with Clarice and Buffalo Bill and they'll continue making things with Hannibal Lecter but never the two shall be so it's sad crazy. <laughs> only here only in silence of the lambs only in silence of the lambs and the and I think Clarice is in Hannibal too but uh, the, she is in Hannibal but Jodie Foster it's Julianne that's Moore, right that's right, right yeah but this this so, is doesn't even yeah count. and they only have four scenes in this movie too we'll get to that <laughs> but uh, okay but uh yeah so ted tally the screenwriter he was the first choice to write he was brought on in november of 87 so again before the book was released and uh he had known thomas harris really well and he got an advanced copy of the book and that like sparked his interest in adapting it so he you know, kind of approached Orion and Hackman to uh, to do it. And uh, Ted Talley's anecdote about Gene Hackman, like fleshing out the movie is he would always say, quote, maybe Bobby will play Lecter. And he didn't really know which Bobby he was talking about. If it was like Robert De Niro, Robert Duvall, uh, just, 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 and it's- Imagine if Robert De Niro was Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. It, it could have been. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I keep jumping ahead. No, it's great. I love it. It's, you know, the, he was like, so Ted Talley was like a third of the way through the script and Gene Hackman 
dropped out. <laughs> he, he had read, he had, he, had, he had started to read, or no, he saw his performance in another movie. I don't remember which one, but he was like upset about playing like a, a violent character. And so he didn't want to, he, he like stepped away from the whole project because of that. And uh, at that point, Orion had not really settled the 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 rights deal for the book even so there was it was like that was a moment where it could have just not happened at all but the co-founder of orion told ted tally to keep writing it and you know he did and it ended up happening and uh just a little side note here ted tally would go on to also write the red dragon movie in 2002 and act as a story consultant on shrek 2 and madagascar <laughs> Why were they like Shrek two? We got to get the guy who did Silence in the Lambs. Yeah, got to consult with him. Yeah, yeah, that was like that was like the main thing he was known for. Too. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's funny. I mean, he did a great job, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, outstanding work. Absolutely. I, well, I, I just to jump in real quick. Like, I'm learning Silence of the Lambs is like technically a sequel, but it's like better. It's like the best and i'm like shrek 2 yeah maybe falls along the same line absolutely it's a really good sequel absolutely you can you can definitely see the connection there for sure yeah so um orion reached out to jonathan demi as a replacement director and he had recently worked on married to the mob which was another orion movie and he he sent one of the orion guys a script for a thriller he wanted to do with danny glover and the producer in question was like okay, I like this, but first I need you to read this book. And he sent him Silence of the Lambs and um, Demi was instantly on board. Uh, he, you know, he, he signed on. Uh, Ted Talley and Jonathan Demi first met in May of 1989 and the movie started shooting in November. <laughs> so like they got off, you know, you know, Ted Talley had finished his draft by that point, And he says he can't recall there being any major revisions from that first draft. It was really a case of like everything just kind of working out uh, in quick succession. And the same thing sort of happened with the cast. Um, Ted Talley says that he wrote the script with Jodie Foster in mind for Clarice. Uh, and Jodie Foster was also interested in that role after reading the book. Uh, but Jonathan Demi was like, not convinced that she was right for it. He initially sought Michelle Pfeiffer, who he just worked with on Married to the Mob, and then Meg Ryan, and then Laura Dern, and and then it came to Jodie Foster. She was perfect. She was so good. She, I mean, I mean, there's she's great. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer could have been good. Laura Dern is, is, is would have been a very strange one. I feel like <laughs> I couldn't. I can't see it. It's it's weird. Like. And then, yeah. and then meanwhile, the, the Hannibal role, they had like dozens of big name actors who wanted that role. I have a, a, a short list here, including yeah. Robert De Niro and Robert Duvall, as I said, Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman, Al Pacino, Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, Jack Nicholson, and Patrick Stewart. Jack Nicholson would have been really good. Jack Nicholson would have been Jack very Nicholson. good. It would be a very different Hannibal, but he would be very good at it. But I want to go back to the Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> That would have been that would uh, that would have changed everything, honestly. Like if you think about with like Morgan Freeman's career trajectory, how different yes, that would like be. He's never played a character like that. Absolutely. And I think I think he could be really good at it. It's just like <laughs> there's not really much to compare it to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That would be that's crazy. crazy. I also I love the idea idea of Hannibal being like Italian, like Pacino or De Niro. (laughs) I think that would be really funny. (laughs) Like when he's like, I I ate it with a nice side of fava beans. Like ate it with a nice side of spaghetti (laughs) and a Chianti. (laughs) Spaghetti. (laughs) Uh, Um. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So once again, anyway. once again, Ted Talley claims that he was always interested in Anthony Hopkins for that role. Um, Demi was also interested in Anthony Hopkins. He initially approached uh, Sean Connery, but Sean Connery turned it down and so they, they just gave it to Hopkins. So like, like I said, like in a way, the the people who... The, the people wanted it and they were wanted from early on and like things just kind of fell into place within like that six month period of May to November 1989. Um, and so the film was finished in like mid 1990, but they like shelved it for a couple months. They didn't release it until Valentine's Day 1991. 
Uh, <laughs> love that Valentine's release. Huh. Love that Valentine's release. What happened was not really, not exactly a rom com. Yeah, <laughs> something to see with the to see with the misses. Um, <laughs> at that time, Orion Pictures was going bankrupt, and they didn't want to you know put the film out in like this you know competitive award season and the like orion was putting out dances with wolves at the same time and they were like this is our big awards movie so we don't want to be competing with ourselves or, or you know have silence get swallowed with with all the stuff that's going on so they pushed it off to february and uh it was kind of expected that like that like it wouldn't win any awards because it was a february release you know they 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 figured they were just like killing the award chances, whatever, but it was really successful right out of the gate financially. It debuted at number one, stayed there for five weeks. Uh, it, it ultimately stayed in theaters for five months, which was, you know, obviously really big. And uh, it was like the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. So it, you know, it had this longevity that probably helped it uh, as, as things moved into award season at the end of the year. But the other major thing is that at this time, it was rare for studios to send video screeners to awards voters. And, and you know, since most of the award season films were released in like, at like the end of the year in November, December, they usually didn't have VHS tapes made in time for them to be sent out to to voters and so they would you know do all this stuff paying for for your consideration campaigns and screenings and parties but uh orion didn't have money for that but they did have a lot of vhs tapes of silence of the lambs and so they sent those to award voters they were one of the few movies that were doing it and um it's probably a big part of 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 how it conquered award season yeah and so yeah like i said it uh it was nominated in all major categories at the Oscars. Uh, Hopkins was nominated for Best Actor, one of the shortest performances ever to win in that category at under 25 minutes. Um, and like I said, it was only it was one of only three films in history to completely sweep those big five categories. The other two being It Happened One Night and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Love that movie. <laughs> yeah, um, very good, yeah. very good. I just good. recently watched it for the first time. Anyways. Yeah, good good. Danny DeVito in there. And Jack Nicholson is really killing yes. it. That's like, when you said Jack Nicholson for Hannibal, like I thought of his character in One Flew Over and I was like, that it would probably be something that would, I feel like that you would see hints of it. Just to Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, those are all my notes. <laughs> so we can, okay. we can get into the film. Yeah. If you wanna... Anthony Hopkins, I like noticed watching it that he wasn't in most of it, but I did not realize it was under 25 minutes. Yeah, no, that he's, is... it, but, but the thing is that like, as I was reading that, I remembered seeing it the previous time and him not being in it that much. And I was like, is, is it more of a supporting role? But then like watching the movie, like the way that his character comes into it in like the first 15 minutes and the way that like, he's always a presence throughout the rest of it. Like he, he is very much the, the male lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were watching it, my friend who had never seen it before, we were like at the graduation scene. She was like, wait, what about Hannibal? Isn't he still out there? And I was like, just wait. Like, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they do that very well. They, they did do that very well. And, you know, the, 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 the fact that Hopkins and Foster only have four scenes together in the whole movie is mm-hmm. a, another thing that, that you just sort of don't realize looking at. It. But then so much of the movie is about these different plans that they have and the way that like like there's that great twist where the 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 feds are at the wrong house and and Clarice is at the right house <laughs> that, yeah that, that's such a great reveal of that and um I mean but it's a great example of how the 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 plot lines in this movie are like people have different plans and they intersect with each other mm. And I feel like that's evident from that that early scene of Clarice talking to Hannibal for the first time. And she doesn't eat, like Jack, she's there for Jack Crawford's intentions. Like he has her intentions in sending her, she has her own intentions. And then Hannibal has this like 
there's like that third party too. Yeah. And there's that immediate sense of like, of like, yeah, Hannibal always seems like he's up to something <laughs> because he's so <laughs> deliberate in what he says and he's always prying on, uh, you, you know, on Clarice and, and, and on, you know, personal details. And yeah, it's just, you, you know, there's, there's this immediate sense that, that some kind of, that, that that they're you know talking on di- on different wavelengths they you know they, they 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 all have their intentions and they're you know sort of differently spaced what is your favorite scene what is my favorite scene oh man um i like <laughs> i mean i mean the, the the every scene of of hannibal and clarice talking while, while he's in the cell is like they're all mm-hmm. so you know, intense and, and well-written and like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, there, there's so much more going on in this movie, but like really the core is the, the kind of, that kind of mind gamey relationship between those two. Yeah. When I, I was talking to my dad and I was like, oh, I watched the movie with the best ambulance scene ever last night. And he was like mm. the fugitive. And I was like, no, better. Because <laughs> that moment when they realized that, I forget the um, officer's name, but like they realized that like Hannibal has killed this other officer too. And he like stands up in the ambulance and like takes off the skin, like the yeah. uh, that he had on his face. That scene is so good. It's just so, so good. Because you've been waiting to see Hannibal. They, they like, they, you want to see Hannibal in action. You're like hearing yeah. all this buildup. You're like, show me. And like, once he does it, he does the whole thing. He's got the high guy hanging from the ceiling. Like, they did not disappoint. Absolutely. And that kind of gets into what I was talking about earlier, where there's this, this great mix of like the procedural drama of, you know, the, of, of the detectives and then this like gothic horror. Of, mm-hmm. and, and part of, part of that is just what Demi does with you know the the cinematography, all those like close up shots, and and you know the like there are parts that have like really stark lighting, and I, I mean the like the like cells and cages that that Hannibal gets put in are a great like staging device for for, for those kind of interactions. But there's just so much, there's just such an interesting mix of courtroom, office, you y- you know walk and talk stuff and then the this you know this really great sort of otherworldly horror that that is it it occupies the same space yeah and i i think you know this about me but like i love criminal minds Mm -hmm. um it's like my favorite show and so like that is definitely like there are a lot of similarities between Silence of the... There's one shot in Silence of the Lambs, like, of them, like, flying over DC, and it's, like, a shot of DC from above. They use that exact shot in Criminal Minds. Oh, yeah? Like, I, swear, <laughs> like, I was like, I've seen that. Um, yeah, I really love... I think that... Okay, well, also, Clarice as a character, like, I think they do a very good job of, like showing like, oh, she's really in the boys club at the FBI. And at some points it's a little obvious, but like, Mm -hmm. I remember in like that first, like in the beginning of the movie, she gets into the elevator after she's been pulled off the course um, to go see Jack Crawford. And she like gets in the elevator and it's all the men and she's like standing in the middle and the doors close. And I was like, that's a really good way to like set that tone for the movie so quickly. Absolutely. And and I think that's something that's very, that is kind of groundbreaking in a way about that movie is that it's a it's a horror movie where where the where where you know Clarice's character is 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 obviously the you know the one who's figuring things out the one who's you know kind of leading the charge in a way that is not often the case but also there's this there there's still this element of of danger and of you know there's there's this male gaze on her the whole time and this sort of you know the way that her her femininity is still part of how she moves through this space even though she 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 is rather than the victim the uh you know the 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 pursuer yeah and she that's the thing i'm like jodie foster does it so well laura dern could never (laughs) um i think that really that that like like the scene that accomplishes that the most for me i mean there are moments that throughout the movie but i always think of like right after that twist i was talking about the scene where it's just where it's like her and 
and uh buffalo bill and they're like in his house and they're just you know having this having this kind of tense dialogue where like you know who he is you know what's likely to happen but the you're you're kind of you're afraid for her and you're like wondering how things are going to go out. And then, you know, you see the gun on the stove, you see like, like she's got her gun and it's, I feel like it accomplishes this, this really strong tension and this, this, this sense of danger that, uh, you know, it doesn't diminish how, how capable and how strong Clarice is, but it's, you know, it builds onto it. I will say why the fuck did she go in there without backup? Like there's, she's like talking to Catherine down in the pit and she's like, the police are on their way. And I was like, no, they aren't. You didn't call them. No one knows that you're here. Huh? Like she totally could have been killed by Buffalo Bill and they wouldn't have known. Like they probably would have figured it out, but like, that was bad. That wouldn't like criminal minds, that wouldn't fly. Yeah. I mean, maybe there was a thing of like, cause you know, when they break into the house and there's no one there, they, they you know, the guy's like Clarice. And then Clarice, so it's like, yeah. maybe, maybe like telling them that she was going there was a way of like, if I'm in trouble, they'll know where I am. Okay. Yeah. But she doesn't like radio for like, and also they're like 400 miles away. Like she doesn't radio like the local PD, which is like. Yeah. You, you, you would think like there's, there's not really a reason she couldn't do that. Like. Like, like, like after the that chase starts and after like she, yeah. she knows what's going on yeah i, I don't know <laughs> it's uh, just a little plot hole yeah um, i another scene where i'm like clarice is like just like super like just a short one that i love where she like it's after they've gone to the local police station in kansas i think and they've like seen the body that was pulled out of the river Mm-hmm. and there's like a moment while they're there where like it's all male sheriffs or like detectives or whatever and they're all looking at her and the like head sheriff is like giving jack crawford a hard time and jack crawford was like oh we should we shouldn't speak about this in front of a woman and later um when jack crawford and um clarice are in the car he says hey that thing i said I could tell it. I could tell it like upset you. I was just trying to get him. I was just like saying something to get him off our back. And she was like, "I know, sir, but those men look up to you, and what you say matters." Mm. And he said, "Okay, point taken." And I was like, "Damn, yeah, yeah, that's really very good. Well <laughs> just really yeah, good. very well put." Yeah, I I have not read uh, the book. Silence of the Lambs. I, I've been, I, you know, I've been led to believe that it was a pretty straightforward adaptation. But um, I mean, I mean, it's a really great script in so many ways. And uh, and I, I read this as I was doing research on this, and so many people were talking about like, you know, it's this perfect thriller, and it's this, it's this perfect horror movie, and then, and then you know, Demi's doing the read, and he's like, oh, this is actually the scariest movie of all time <laughs> like, it, you know it, it, it the the way that things just kind of came together for it is is kind of wild but it's like and I mean the ending is so great and the ending is the one thing that's significantly different from the book oh what's the ending in the book okay in the original ending Lecter is cutting orange segments with a small paring knife while he speaks to Clarice as he hangs up the phone the camera shot widens we discover that he's at a desk in a book lined office there's a body there's the body of a bodyguard on the floor and then we see Lecter is not alone Chilton is trussed up in a chair across from him the same method of restraints that doctor used on Lecter earlier in the movie Lecter rises slowly a dreamy gleam in his eye as he approaches his terrified victim paring knife in hand shall we begin hmm and in the book, the it's a letter rather than a phone call, and so that that's the thing that they had to change. But the the original ending had like, like I said, just like a more direct like yeah. Hannibal's about to cut this guy up. And, just the line, yeah. "I'm having an old friend for dinner," best so line in the movie, like it's totally so worth changing the ending for. Absolutely, and I think um, I, I think Thomas Harris, even though he's 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 been very much like I'm not interested in being involved in these movies at all. He's he said that he uh, he was just like if 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 I see like a great version of Hannibal in a film or in anything else, then like it's not going to be my character anymore. Hmm. That's basically how he how he describes it. But I think he did sign off on the changed ending. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. 
such a good ending. It's a like really one good of the ending. most iconic endings of all time, I would say. Yeah. Like the and, way and the camera pans up and he just like disappears into the crowd and he's got that fucking wig on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's seeing it for the first time. It was one of the one of the like jaw dropping moments in the movie where it's just like, oh my God. Like and, and you know, the the having an old friend for dinner line is obviously you know, it's it, it's a pun, but it's it's the sort of thing that Hannibal would definitely say. <laughs> it's so good. It's perfect. Yeah, and you can tell that like Clarice would kind of know what what he means by it, and it, 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 it it's you know that's the thing with that phone call is that like even though we're mostly just getting Hannibal's perspective, it begins with us like Clarice is hearing this, and so mm-hmm. you just you you you're just going in with this sense of like what washes over her as she's listening to it. Uh, yeah. And like, you're just suddenly with him and you don't know where he's been or how he's gotten there, but you're like, but also I'll say it, fuck Dr. Chilton, glad he got mm-hmm. eaten. He's such mm-hmm. a dick. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I think I read that that was like part of the decision-making process there is that like in changing the ending is that like Dr. Chilton is such a, a reviled, a, a revilable character in the film that like you know they didn't want to 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 just end with him like cutting him up is a little too cathartic and so they wanted to have it be like a a, a little more moody and kind of like uh, what's gonna happen <laughs> you know and yeah, I, I like that was really and good. also as dr chilton's like walking like off of the plane he's talking to a guy about the resort he's gonna stay and he's like you have really good security right because yeah, mm. we got great security and it's like that doesn't matter we've already seen like what he can do like all he needs right. is a pen like yeah he's already he's already there <laughs> you know he's, he's got you. also question how did he get the pen like because he's back to earlier in the movie when he is about to be shipped off from his glass cage and he's all strapped up dr chilton like leaves his pen on the bed and then in the next scene he's like where's my pen and you're like oh but like Hannibal was strapped down like Mm. I don't know how he like got the pen and swallowed it like yeah (laughs) I don't know maybe I'm missing something but it would have been pretty difficult (laughs) you know it 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 requires logistically it, it requires him to be able to like on top of everything else, be be kind of physically adept and able to like to like you know scooch over and sort of work it up his body. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Ugh. You kind of believe Hannibal could do anything though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I I know I'm really like I know I just have to suspend disbelief, but I'm mm-hmm. bad at that. it's something that's kind of overdone a little in the sequels in terms of like Mm -hmm. you know Hannibal's obviously this character who who is is sort of that you know with a lot of horror movies like they're otherworldly but they're human at the same time and then in the sequels they kind of overdo it on the otherworldly bit I think that does happen in the Hannibal sequels a little bit where it goes like more and more ridiculous in terms of like the kind of plans that he can concoct and the kind of things that he can do like as a cannibal the kind of power that he has and uh, cannibal powers cannibal powers yeah He gave people's memories. Um. My mom was telling me in the, he like feeds a brain, someone their own brain in the sequel. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Ew. There's exposed <laughs> brain and uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. I mean, but like that's, I honestly like that is less of a plot hole for me. Cause like, I don't know. They did lobotomy. You know, like lobotomies, like people survive. I feel like you could feed someone part of their brain. I feel like mm-hmm. that could physically happen that's my maybe so. sorry <laughs> little maybe gruesome so. but yeah. um anyways one last thing is that when they move him to like that hotel and they have him in that giant cage in the middle of the room that's not a great not a great method to keep a prisoner just like i yeah. wouldn't personally do that yeah it looks amazing but it's just like you know just just putting them there like you know it's kind of it's kind of big and you know he could probably he couldn't he couldn't exactly slide out but it's like it's it's a little too roomy and and, And once he gets out of like that room he has the whole hotel like at least in a prison you can like he gets out of his room while he's stuck in that corridor and then like there are doors and like that you can close but like and that's how he escaped Anyway, yeah, it's, it's if definitely, I was the police in charge of Hannibal Lecter, I would probably do some things different. It's definitely much lower security than what he was in at the beginning. Yeah. 
Should we talk about Buffalo Bill? Yeah, let's talk about it. You have some, okay. you have an anecdote. Yeah. Have you ever heard anything about Ed Gein? I'm familiar. Okay. To what extent? I know the name and um, I, I don't know the story very well. It, like, <laughs> I've, I've probably yeah, heard it Yeah, so he was, I'm like, let me, I feel like I should have some dates to describe. So I'm just going to pull up the Wikipedia page, but also like just for date references. Um, so he was a serial killer and he was a big inspiration for Buffalo Bill. So he like had a very abuse his dad was an alcoholic his mom was abusive and super religious and she was like all women are evil and they will like seduce you and send you to hell and she also made him terrified of masturbating like he hated his genitals because of like what he had been taught like just a very traumatic upbringing like the kind that you're like oh this is gonna fuck you up fuck you up like you heard you like of course he became a serial killer so he was obsessed with like skin and women's skin and he okay so here are some of the things that they found when they like raided his house they found a wastebasket made of human skin they found human skin covering several chairs they found a like um lampshade made from human skin and he had like oh he had a belt made from nipples, which <laughs> that's my least favorite, but he would also wear the skin sometimes. And okay, this is like a particularly gruesome detail that you can, I feel like I should say it because I feel like it's very like, like when I heard that I was like, that is a big inspiration for Buffalo Bill, mm -hmm. but you can cut it out completely. <laughs> um, Ed Gein, one of his victims, he- and like danced around. So like, he was insane. He was crazy. He had a very traumatic upbringing. He like, he also like had some like injuries as a child. Like he was mentally ill, clearly. And so I think Buffalo Bill is intended to be a similar character in that it is someone who is very mentally ill and I think that's also something that Hannibal Lecter touches on in like one of the scenes between him and Clarice when they're talking about Buffalo Bill. And like, well, I don't wanna get in my head of myself. What do you have to say about the Ed Gein stuff? Sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, I definitely think it's it's very likely that, uh, that there was some inspiration taken there, and I definitely yeah. think that, like, like you know, knowing the story, that's definitely that definitely seems like the angle they were going for with the Buffalo Bill character. And you know, if if the story had been constructed another way, it might have been more obvious than because they do definitely lean into the idea of of you know cross-dressing and thinking he's mm -hmm. trans and they like, like we'll talk about what yeah. the way that they describe it but like they they definitely lean into that with this version of the character in a way that right um, let's know, talk about helpful. the way they describe it right sure. now <laughs> okay okay i have the i have a quote from uh, from hannibal here he says uh billy is not a real transsexual but he thinks he is he tries mm -hmm. to be so and he says he's tried to belong to a lot of different groups before too mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and when you go and when they go into his house you see all like this nazi um, yeah you see the nazi stuff you see like an army helmet and you know there's just all kinds of different uh yeah. paraphernalia there but i think it it at least it you know elucidates a very interesting uh conception of uh, of being trans just the way that they mm -hmm. describe him as not being trans and, and uh, in, in that it's you know it describes a moment in time where it was seen as medical but also taken seriously in a way where like if you were if you were making this movie today you would probably move much further away from from buffalo bill potentially being trans you would you would you know mm -hmm be a little more Ed Gainey and how the and how the crimes specifically play out and you know maybe not even address it directly <laughs> just just in mm -hmm. that you know I, I I think it it's you know it's interesting how they conceptualize it 
Yeah. And also there's a moment where Clarice says, transsexuals are not, there's no link between, because I feel like transsexual would have been like the proper term at the time, right? Yeah. Um, she was like, there's no link between transsexualism and violence. Like they're very passive. And he's like, that's when he cuts her off and he's like, he's not a real, he's not actually trans. Like, right. And that scene is so important. And I feel like it just went over a lot of people's heads. I've, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, but there's definitely I, you know, as I said, I, I wrote a paper uh, about yeah. uh, trans representation in film and how, you know, film is a language, everything that you put in a film is built off of what came before it. And so the challenge of doing trans representation at all is that, you know, the early precursors are in these are in horror and comedy, basically. <laughs> and uh there, there was an interview about Silence of the Lambs where they were talking about Psycho, which, uh, which you know, is is a, another film about a a character who, where about you know, a serial killer who who cross dresses, and I think that um, obviously the fact that they say that that the characterism trans does not necessarily <laughs> n- yeah, negate the harm true. that that's can be done. True yeah through through the images of that character and i definitely think that the scenes of buffalo bill i mean the the most iconic scene of of, yeah. of buffalo bill you know you know with the with, with with the wig and makeup and all that i think it i i think it probably did measurable harm yeah and i i think like when i watch that scene i think of ed gein but that's just because that's what i've been like no one else had, not no one, but like most people don't have like that niche interest and like not most, very few people have a good understanding of gender and a good understanding of serial killers. And I mm. feel like you kind of have to understand both to like have six, I, I probably the creators didn't either of the movie, but I'm like, I mm. think that like the nuance is attainable I don't know if it was but I'm like I like and I was also thinking a lot about how you know how JK Rowling just put out that recent book about a cross-dressing serial killer Mm -hmm. um yeah and like that yeah I think but like that book probably wouldn't have happened if Buffalo Bill hadn't been a character that probably played into it so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, and and you know, the, 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 again, there's this long history. You know, you're psycho, you're dressed to right. kill, like like uh, all these uh, horror movies that have been made uh, throughout history, and and you know, books before that. But um, I think uh, I think that Demi and 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 Tally, I think the writer and director probably had a thought of like we don't want to offend trans people and we want to like like like, like those lines were clearly put in there to be like mm-hmm. don't worry we're not we're not talking about trans people but they also and, really wanted to have buffalo bill say would you fuck me like they wanted that scene yeah to happen. yeah and i'm sure that was in the book but it, it, it it's you know it's very um I, I mean they're drawing on the 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 tradition of 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 gender transgression as horror mm-hmm. and, and they you know I don't even I don't even know if they were conscious of it but just the fact that that scene was seen as scary is is really just like you know yeah. it, it it comes from that tradition they're probably like oh this is a terrifying scene that you know mm-hmm. about this 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 twisted you know guy but but despite having that level of recognition of of we don't want to uh, we don't upset trans people we don't want to exclude trans people there was still Intent not aware a- not aware of that of that of that uh history that they were drawing on yeah yeah Catherine martin such an under the girl who's kidnapped such an underrated mm. character so, mm. she's so wonder she's so she's so smart like yeah so when she gets that do- like she throws the bone up she gets the dog like and then in the end where like she's walking out and one of like the police officers like goes to take the dog and she says no and she's like i'm not letting go of this dog yeah, i, I love her I feel like there's probably a lot of stuff like that where like if I if I had seen it more times I could probably point to all these little things going on in the background but she's an example mm-hmm. of you know obviously she's 
a key part of the story, but she's like not a main character. She's someone who we right. see in like five scenes maybe, but she's, you know, she has this this progression and she's such, she's so clearly like this three-dimensional characters, you know, contemplating all the different elements of things. And it really, it feels like everyone in this movie is thinking about like, like the entire situation. It feels like yeah. everyone is- when Jodie Foster breaks into Buffalo Bill's house and she finds like the room with the pit, she's like, you're safe. The police are on their way. And you, she Catherine says, safe shit. <laughs> Get me the fuck out of here. And I'm like, yeah, go off. Yeah. You're right. Yes. <laughs> she didn't call for backup. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, uh, It was yeah. interesting to me how like, like like right after Buffalo Bill is shot, there's the there's like a shot that lingers for a couple seconds of that army helmet I was talking about and like an American flag propped against it. And it's like it's like right after that it goes to the spinning butterfly decoration thing. But I I thought those were interesting choices for <laughs> yeah. 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 Dang. I think that is so in like the fact that like Buffalo Bill like tried to belong to all these different communities like I don't know a lot of aspects of his character are like so like the beginning of the BAU I don't know how like the behavioral analysis unit like have you seen Mindhunter a little bit yeah yeah it's like that's like pretty close to the actual story of how it started like with them interviewing all those serial killers so like and Silence of the Lambs is still kind of set like in the early days of the BAU so I that was kind of oh they were learning that like oh people who are involved in extremist groups like sometimes don't even have those beliefs they just want to like like serious that's a common thing among serial killers like participate in like extremist groups just like be a part of like a community um i'm pretty sure like jeffrey dahmer i think was involved with some groups and one of them jeffrey dahmer probably was a little bit of an influence on hannibal just because he was like the most famous cannibal at the time. I, I, I don't know that for sure. I'm just imagining. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I mean, once again, you know, uh, Thomas Harris was was a guy who was interviewing killers like yeah. directly for one reason or another. So, right. he, you know, he definitely had a more in-depth kind of uh, field than, 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 you know, your average person. But I definitely think at some point in the way they were like, oh, it's, it's you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um what else is there? If you could have dinner with any character in Silence <laughs> of the Lambs, hmm. <laughs> who would you have dinner with? I hate to say Hannibal, but I kind of feel like I it's Hannibal. Will, I, I have dinner with Hannibal, but I'm cooking. Um, right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man. Yeah. It's a complicated movie. It is, yeah. But it's really fucking good. It is. It's it's very well made. The interesting thing about about Jonathan Demi, the director, is that like up until very recently, my impression of him was that he did stop making sense and he did Silence of the Lambs and like that's it. You, you know, like like he's so known for those two movies, and they're both considered like these 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 masterpieces of American cinema. That I just I, I almost assumed it was like a Night of the Hunter thing where those were like the only two movies he ever made, but like he you know he he just did a lot of different things and he did all these all these comedies with orion in the 80s he did rachel getting married which is an amazing movie i hadn't seen until recently like he you know he he just became known for first doing uh stop making sense and you, you know being like this 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 perfect music documentary and then doing silence of the lambs for which he won the oscar like i said and um it, it, it's really well written, well directed, amazing cast, like a a, 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 a very high level, <laughs> just just film yeah. in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and yet talking through the, uh, the the ways in which the the Buffalo Bill character is harmful, mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of like of like what the movie has to say, and it's complicated because you know what it has to say is different from what it like unintentionally draws from and it you know i think i think its intentions are good and it's uh, a well done story and the you know the harm that it caused is 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 real but you know it's it's complicated <laughs> right right yeah 
And I think like we are able to have this conversation about it because we like have an understanding of these nuances. But like, I feel like a lot of people when Silence of the Lambs was released in particular, in particular, like did not and would not. And like, yeah, I'm like, Silence of the Lambs is so good, but not everyone should see it. <laughs> you and- yeah, it's definitely, you know, I mean, that's true of a lot of, horror movies and the other thing that that it you know draws from psycho is this this sort of stigmatization of of mental illness that is true of like most of the horror genre honestly (laughs) but it's when we were watching it and like the scene where like Jodie Foster's pulling up to Buffalo Bill's house my friend was like is she getting paid for any of this? And I was like, no, dude, she's still in the academy. Like she's not even an agent yet. She's a student the whole time. I just think that's so funny. Like, I, that's probably the most unrealistic part of the movie that Jodie Foster as a student was sent out to do. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's another thing that I always forget. And then I'm watching it and I was like, why are they why are they doing this there? And I guess it kind of like g- blows out of proportion because she's like gets very interested in it and then she, you know, makes herself more involved. But like, yeah. at some point they could be like, you're a student, you're not allowed to do this. Like go home, study right. for your test. <laughs> yeah, she's crazy, but she's free. Um, yeah, definitely. I was reading about some of the, you know, the the criticism from the LGBT community that this movie had, like at the time of its release, uh, as well as later on. And you know, Demi responded in basically the same way we did that 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 you know Buffalo Bill isn't isn't trans, and that you know I, I was trying to be kind of clear about that and uh let's see Demi added that he came to realize that there quote came to realize that there is a tremendous absence of positive gay characters in movies mm-hmm. um an interesting element here is that criticism was made towards Jodie Foster because there were at the time rumors that she was a lesbian I mean she is but like it wasn't actually known at the time and people were still criticizing her <laughs> for what became come on sorry like leave her alone for that she yeah I don't know like she was in the class ah, leave her alone <laughs> yeah 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 um didn't the guy who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan do it to save Jodie Foster? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember what the uh, like, like what was she was in? Uh, she was in Taxi Driver. Yeah, and and the you know the 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 guy who shot Reagan was it Hinckley or whatever it was? He saw yeah, Robert Hinckley. Yeah, he saw um, whatever it was. He saw Taxi Driver and he became obsessed with Jodie Foster, and that's. That's why he did it. Yeah, and he was also and he was also like stalking her for a long time. Like they like like it shouldn't it yeah. shouldn't just be watered down. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely not Robert Hinckley. That's someone completely different. Who yeah. tried to kill? Oh, <gasps> Google's listening. It what? popped up. Oh, it was John Hinckley. John it was John Hinckley. Hinckley. I John typed in who Jr., tried yeah. and it said who has tried to assassinate Reagan immediately. <laughs> I hate that. Don't like but, it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think you've learned? What have I learned? Um, I don't know. I mean, again, my my big takeaway from watching it this time was the was that tonal balancing act that it does. And like the the first time I watched it, I was I I saw it as I didn't really see it as a horror movie. I just, you know, watching it, I was like, this is, you know, this is a crime drama. This is, you know, a, a, a cop movie, basically. And then watching it this time, I became aware of like the ways that the score and the lighting and the close-ups, the way that everything works to give it this this like otherworldly horror feel, like on top of the on top of the the, the crime drama elements. Yeah. Ugh. And of course, I learned that Morgan Freeman wanted to play uh, Hannibal, so that was. Okay. <laughs> what I've learned is Morgan Freeman should have been Hannibal, and if you care about Jodie Foster, you should try to kill the president. Um. maybe specifically reagan we can target yeah yeah yeah. we can don't targeting reagan on the podcast is that allowed i would say so (laughs) i'm not fbi listening i'm not gonna try to assassinate ronald (laughs) Ronald 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 reagan Reagan. 
wink wink um wherever they're, wherever, wherever they're keeping him these days yeah. i'm like he's got to be like in an, like he's got to be like frozen you know and they just like bring him out and thaw him out on special occasions yeah they're waiting they're waiting for the <laughs> they're waiting for when they might need it <laughs> just to be like <laughs> ronald reagan get out of here <laughs> all right this has been a great uh conversation <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me Thank you for coming. Is there anything you would like to plug before we sign off? Follow me on Twitter at Clamrissa. Um, yes. I don't know. Like, I'm just kind of a person. Like, I think I'm funny. Um, yeah, I'm just a student and a person who likes to talk. And I'm yeah. so glad I got to do that with you. Thank you so much for having me. The, 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 thank you for being here. We love, we, you're, you're welcome back anytime, obviously. And uh, love to come back. I'm like, if you ever want to talk about The Fugitive, Ooh. Hmm. let me know because i love that movie um, we will see it's been a while since yeah. i've seen it I'll, I'll have to you know do my research but uh yeah this has been great thank you for coming thank you for listening to all the people at home and uh have a great rest of your day I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.